the amount of times that I'm, I've done that Robin Island crossing, by the way, 109 times now. On every single one of those 109 times, it's, it's standard practice for me, but on every single one of those swims, at some stage I've got negative and I've started to look for reasons why I should rather get into the support boat or why I can fail without losing too much face. Okay. And that is a defense mechanism and you don't know it at the time. You think you're just being silly or you, you, you actually believe that you are too cold and that you're going to die. Um, but all it is, is a defense mechanism that doesn't want you to feel the pain of failure. Okay. Because we've evolved with these wonderful defense mechanisms to keep us safe. This gateway to greatness that lives in our head, our mind is actually our biggest limitation because it's designed to keep you safe wants to keep you inside your comfort zone so you don't walk into fire or throw yourself off a cliff. Um, you know, you can imagine, you know, in caveman days, that was probably relevant. But it's also mm. evolved in the world we live in to keep us safe from the emotional pain that comes from failure. Because when we fail as humans, there's a little bit of pain, there's hurt, and there's embarrassment, mm. and there's consequences, etc. So it's extremely easy not to try. So the easiest thing mm. for a human to do is to look for excuses. And sometimes we don't look for those excuses um, cognitively. It happens subconsciously. Yeah, they just happen by default in the mm. back of your brain. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, should I try this? The outcome could be epic. No, because it could also be disastrous. So I shall stay yeah. in my lane. I shall get my yes. salary, salary check. My manager will be happy. Boom. And what we do is... You know, everyone's heard this saying that if you don't try, you've already failed. What's your life story? Welcome to Inspirational Interviews with Jen Rod, where you will discover everyday brave hearts connecting with their truth. Find out what inspires them to do what they love, how they got here and why they never give up. Be inspired by these stories to create your beautiful life with your host, Jen Rod. Hi guys, welcome back to Inspirational Interviews. Very cool uh, conversation ahead of you um, with Ryan Stramroot from Cape Town, South Africa, born and bred. And yeah, just a... Yeah, super cool guy who who's challenged his body and mind in all ways possible um, with regards to cold water swimming, open water swimming, and also, uh, yeah, swimming from country to country. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable what he's achieved. And um, yeah, I can't wait to kick in with that in a minute. Before I do, a uh, quick heads up, go to inspirationalinterviews.com, subscribe there, uh, share this with friends, and every week you will receive a super cool conversation uh, in your inbox. Also, Inspirational Interviews on Instagram is super active. It's my sort of current affairs. I actually really enjoy it. It's fun. So um, go check me out there as well. Uh, say hello like a lot of the guys do and uh, well guys not guys but guys and girls I just say guys um, but yeah go check me out there say hi as I said and uh, share with friends you know when we uh, yeah when we hear beautiful stories or we get inspired by something you know share that on because people really appreciate getting um, 
this kind of information from a personal source. So, you know, if any of these interviews are inspiring you, which I know they are inspiring a lot of you guys out there because I hear from you. Um, but for those of you who are here for the first time, you know, share this on with friends or family. Um, life stories change lives. They really do. And they connect us. They make us all one. You know, there's no human being that is... Um, yeah, separate from you or me. We are all connected. We're all human and we're all wanting to, to do good and and enjoy what we do. And this is what this show is all about. It's all about connecting with people who are following their truth and going out there and, you know, come hell or high water. Uh, uh, excuse this term in this sense because this is all about cold water but yeah come hell or high water um these brave hearts are out there doing their thing and you can too you know you can too um it just takes one step so yeah i'm super grateful you know to all the people that come on the show all the guests i have famous guests i have non-famous guests i have semi-famous guests um you know ryan an amazing sportsman you know, pretty well known in South Africa and in other parts of the world. You know, it's it's amazing that these people come on the show and share their story because this is what has impact is when you hear someone's story and not just a quote, you know, obviously quotes are cool and they can give you a quick fix. Um, but hearing a story, you you become a part of that person's life and you learn from the wisdoms that they've learned over however many years of their life, 30 years, 20 years, whatever, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years. I even interviewed a woman at 82, I think, 82 or 84 years of age, you know, who's a professional musician. I mean, you know, these stories are incredible. So share them on and, um, yeah, connect with me and any of you guys who are needing someone to help you with interviews because I do this as well. Um, please, if I can ask you, just go to the website and on there, uh, there's a section where it says book gen, um, or if any of you are needing help, um, you know, just personally in terms of just interviewing within yourself, I can also help you with that. So go check it out on the website um, and connect with me there. Um, but uh, yeah, guys, without any further ado, let's give a warm cyber welcome for Ryan Stramrud. Yeah, so, you know, let's just go in there. Our listeners don't know who you are. Obviously, I'm based in the Netherlands. So I have a big, you know, Dutch following. So uh, I, I would imagine not everyone, you know, in the Netherlands certainly knows who you are. So, yeah, let's just go right in. Tell us, give us sort of to start with just a, a synopsis of, of who Ryan, how do I pronounce your surname, by the way? Stramrud? Stram Stramrud. Yeah, Dutch actually. Stramrut. So yeah, well, you see, this is a thing. I've got the whole Dutch thing going. So I would say Stramrut. Yeah. Stramrut is, well, that would be correct. But uh, Stramrud is how we say Stramrud. it. Stramrut. Yeah. Cool. So yeah. tell us who, who, who Ryan Stramrud is. Ryan Stramrud is the quintessential average Joe who only <laughs> about, uh, I'm getting there. Wait, wait for it. Um, only only a couple of years ago, um, what, 17, 18 years ago, was, was a nice couch potato loving the remote control and, and getting fat and fairly useless. Yeah. Um, How many years ago was that? It was when I was 30, so about 17 years ago. Yeah. And um, I remember always thinking, oh, I've got to do something. But, you know, taking that first step is, is always extremely difficult. And I took a client away because I run an advertising business as well. 
And I took a client away for the weekend and uh, he said, well, you know, why don't you join my little swimming squad that we've got uh, in close to where your office mm. is and home is back in Cape Town. And uh, I thought, okay, well, I've always enjoyed swimming, so why not give it a go? And um, for the first time, Ryan Stranger got off the couch and went and uh, actually partook in a little swimming squad. And, uh, you know, after the first session needed to vomit, I was so exhausted and uh, <laughs> unfit and, you know, and <laughs> You know, having having plenty of testosterone, you you know you select that you select the lane that you think you you're good enough to be in with all the false guys. <laughs> testosterone and, then, and ego combined. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and then you know once you, the, the first four lengths are nice and easy, and you hold your own, and then things go horribly pear shaped. Yeah, and uh, you know that gap between the, the feet in front of you uh, starts to widen, and you push harder to to make it. Anyway, something made me go back again. And uh, slowly but surely, I started to build a bit of fitness, and then you start meeting people. And um, you know, I met a guy called Tony Solmayer, who's um, sort of a veteran of of open water swimming here in South Africa. And uh, he handed me a book on open water swimming and said, "You know what? You should set your sights on swimming from Robben Island to Bloberg Beach." And uh, I remember thinking that that is just the most uh, ridiculous suggestion I've ever heard. I mean, that's for athletes and mm. for you know, the, the, the superhuman people out there certainly not for me who've now managed to swim 20 maybe 40 lengths in a session yeah and uh it's also not not entirely within my nature to take on something difficult and hard and would obviously require you know a bit of bravery and uh, everything that goes with it but i took the challenge and i worked my way up quietly and one day announced to my family that i'm going to attempt to swim from robin island to Bloberg beach wow. and i set it all up um, and it's a 7.3 kilometer distance, so it's not massive, but the challenge of that swim is actually the cold water. Mm. So um, just for your listeners, um, I'm a purist at heart, so we do not wear wetsuits or any um, padding or anything that can help you with the cold. The element of cold is what everything that I'm going to say going forward is actually about for me. Okay. And the Robin Island swim epitomizes that, and that is, you know, it's, it's, it's a decent distance to swim. No one will bulk at seven and a half kilometers of swimming. Hmm. Um, but the water is cold, you know, it ranges from probably about 10 degrees up to 17, 18 on a very good day. So we put average around 13 and 14 degrees Celsius. Hmm. Um, and you only do it in a speedo and a goggles, a pair of goggles and a, and a cap. So that cold really is going to get inside you and you're going to have to be very well prepared for it. And I undertook my first Robin Island crossing and I succeeded. And I walked out on that beach um, and my world changed just a little bit because I, I knew, you know, only a few months before that internally I had put that as being way too too difficult for someone like me. You know, it's not, not something that I would do. Yeah. It's reserved yeah. for other people. And um, here I had just done it, and it started me on a bit of a journey on, on trying to figure out what well, what else can I do? You know, you know, you start to get all the, the praise and accolades, and all your mates can't believe that you <laughs> yeah. you've just done that. And you know, you 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 buoyed and bolstered by that kind of talk, and you start to look for what's next. Yeah, and that's where I started. So that's that's where Ryan Stramrich started the swimming side. And um, very very briefly, I'm I run an advertising business, and I, I am now an inspirational speaker, and I'm blessed to stand on stages around the globe or was blessed sure this lockdown thing yeah. is not helping that side of the business but yeah. we'll come back um i have a gorgeous eight-year-old son and i am a single dad to him 
Um, and yeah, otherwise life is, is fairly simple. It's um, working hard and training hard and sharing messages. So going back now to that guy that suggested you get this book and, uh, you know, moving on yep. to your challenge of Robin Island. I mean, like, why did, why do you think he approached you? I think he approaches everyone who starts a squad and he deems um, able to do it. Um, he's a big advocate of open water swimming. And, so and also, spend, also the purist type or? Very much so, yeah. I don't think he's ever put on a wetsuit. So, you know, when we say the purist, it's, you know, we do things by the rules and I'll explain those in a second. But mm. what I'm referring to directly is the element of cold is the real challenge in open water swimming. Okay. Um, it's certainly in our neck of the woods. Um, yeah. And, and uh, wearing a wetsuit, um, as welcome as that, you do, do whatever you like, but that is not the challenge. You swim Robben Island crossing in a wetsuit, it is maybe 20% of the difficulty. Yeah. So 80% easier, in my humble opinion. Yeah. So he, he, he approached me watching me um, – you know, start to probably improve each each squad session. Yeah. And, um, you know, it just gave me a, a shove towards the ocean, which I will forever be indebted to him for. Wow. So do you still see this? What's his name again? His name is Tony Salmeyer. And, yes, I do still see him. Yeah. Um, we, we, are, we are good friends. Tony is probably about 63, 64 years old, so he's a bit older than me. Yeah. And has, has uh, years of experience. So how, how old are you, Ryan? I'm 46. Okay. Just tell me quickly now because you talk about the rules. So what are the rules of this, this purist swimming? So um, when, when we do um, an open water swim, yeah. firstly, if you want to be classified as being a long-distance swimmer, it needs to be seven kilometers or more. Um, and when we do a swim, so this just, I'm going to use the Robin Island swim. I hope um, your listeners know Robin Island. If you do a simple Google search, that is where um, Nelson Mandela spent 18 of his 27 years incarcerated. And it's yeah. um, a little island that sits out in, in the middle of Table Bay. Um, and I'm just using that as an example. If you're going to do a swim from Robin Island to the beach, you need to start on the island, so clear of the water. Mm -hmm. Then you jump in that water with only a Speedo goggles and, uh, and a cap on, no um, wetsuits or padding, no flippers, no hand paddles, nothing that can help you. You then have to swim to the other side without touching anything that gives you flotation or assistance. So you can't hang on the side of a support boat or jump out and take a little rest. Um, or, you know, have a lilo to, to hang on to. The support boat will obviously keep you safe if you do need to get out and end your swim, or, and they'll also throw you your feed. So every half an hour, generally, or hour, you'll stop and, and you will need to hydrate, or if it's a very long swim, you will need to eat something as well. So that's what their role is. And then, but uh, you'll, then you'll, you'll stay floating. like Correct. You, yeah. you tread water. Yeah. yeah. So you may not touch anything. They throw it to you. They're not even allowed to hand it to you. Um, you then, um, your swim ends on the other side when you eventually clear the water. So not just touching a rock, you have to walk out on the beach. Now okay. I say that there are swims where it's impossible to walk out on the beach. You end on a cliff face and, and exceptions are made then. But then do you know what point you're heading in or how does that work with the currents and everything? Oh yeah. So you, with these open water swims, you're always going to have a support crew. You're really, really good. 
um, because so much goes wrong out in the ocean in, in the blink of an eye, let me tell you. Mm. So you'll have a support crew and uh, you know, following the Cape Long Distance Swim Association Association rules, yeah. um, you will always have a skipper of the boat and then you have an official um, Cape Long Distance Swim Association member who makes sure you follow the rules and you are not touching the boat and you're wearing all the things I've said. But they are also your eyes and your ears. So as a swimmer, you are a face down in the water, so you've got no sense of direction whatsoever. Yes, so okay. So you are just every time you take a breath, you are having a look at the support boat alongside you. Yeah. Um, and so they are the ones you need to know where to go. Okay, cool. Not, not so obviously you do know where you you got to go, but that's not your problem. Yeah, yeah. You just you, your your beacon is the boat. So, Correct. um, what what about the sharks? Um. <laughs> That's a that's a, a, a common question. That, you know, I always say I'm <laughs> really in very, Cape Town. You, know, I mean, <laughs> you think Cape Town? No, you we, think these nice cage divers and you know certainly all these people yeah. overseas. You know what I mean? It's like one of their things to do there. These uh, shark so, cages, yeah. What we do know is that the sharks are here, um, and if you are going to let that freak you out and you're not going to get in the water because of it, then you know that the sport is not for you. You have to make a decision. <laughs> And uh, and decide what your odds are, yeah. and, and work towards that. Now, and let me just say, I mean, South Africa's got, or Cape Town specifically, has got a great reputation for uh, being a breeding ground for the great white shark, and it is exactly that. That's not based on myth; that's fact. Um, on 109 Robben Island crossings that I've done, and many, many other swims in and around these waters, touch wood, not once have I seen a shark. Wow. Okay. So, you know, use those stats. And I, there, there are very few people um, who are in the water, in the ocean, more than me. Um, that does not mean that sharks don't see us. So they are there. Um, they're just not designed or programmed to eat us. It's not what they do. Mm. Um, accidents do happen. And mistaken identities do happen. Um, what do you so, mean by yeah. that? Well, you, you know, one of the... the you, you need to be careful of or, or swimmers are very wary of is swimming at night mm. and the reason for that is not because sharks eat more at night and, and less in the day it's because you know, they're, they're very opportunistic predators I'm talking about the great white specifically and most of, of his brethren um, so in the daytime they might swim below and have a look and go no that's not a seal that's not something I'm familiar with uh, I, I don't eat it yeah. whereas at night they hear splish splash on the top there's no visual and they'll come and take a bite. Yeah. And that also happens in murky water. And you can understand mistaken identities of surfers when, you know, you, you've got all these things that look kind of from underneath, look like turtles or seals, you know, um, you know, from below and yeah. wetsuits. And, you know, we presume that I imagine most of the shark attacks are cases of mistaken identity. Wow. But yeah. it still freaks me out, by the way. It does. <laughs> well, you know, you, you try and tune it out. And every time I'm doing a long swim, one of the things is to go, almost go into a meditative state and yeah. you know, trying to zone that cold out and concentrate on, on staying positive. And you push the, the thoughts of sharks away because you are looking straight down into the blue abyss. And you do see things down there. You know, there, there's lots of, of wildlife in the ocean other than sharks. And, mm. and they're there and we see them. And they give you a nice fright. But um, you'll be swimming along and all of a sudden my hand will hit a jellyfish or a piece of seaweed. Um, 
and I, you know, the, the, the shock that goes through my system is intense. You realize that, you know, that the, the fear of, of something gobbling you up is always there. It's just a matter of processing it and, and holding it at bay and not yeah. letting it stop you from swimming. So you talk about, you know, all these people being on the boats, a part of these associations. Um, so every time you do swim the, uh, the what is it called? The, so from Robben Island to Bloberg Strand, huh? Correct. Yeah, we just call it a Robben Island Crossing. The Robben Island Crossing. So every time you swim that, um, do you always go, yeah, you, you, well, you said earlier you, you, would, you would generally always go with the support around you yes um, yeah yeah so and these people are do, are they always recording your time and everything is it always for a recording of time or is it do you sometimes just do it for training or for fun yes so it's in my case it's always recorded so it's quite i mean again we, we're isolating this discussion around robin island which is pretty much my training ground yeah um, for for much bigger and, and more difficult swims around the world However, you can't just take a boat and, and go out to Robben Island. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a protected area, so you have to get permission to be there. Um, and you also, if you want to be recorded like I do, you then need to, there's only one or two people who can get you that permission and, and go through the channel. So okay. most of the swims are official. Okay. Um, and yes, there's always that, what we call the CLDSA, that's the Cape Long Distance Swimming Association. Mm -hmm. You always have an official and he or she makes sure that you are following the rules. So they take the time, they make sure you're not cheating and hanging on the back of the boat or taking a break in the middle or something like that. Yeah. So that, that, that's um, very important to the, you know, the, pure, the purest nature of the sport. Yeah. So, I mean, do you train in the pool as well still or is, is it purely yeah. in the ocean? Yeah, so uh, clearly in lockdown has thrown everything out. Um, but I would do a lot of training, most of it, at least probably 85 to 90% of the training in a pool. And that is down to a couple of things. The most important being convenience. There's a pool, you know, a gym pool just down the road. Mm -hmm. I don't always have time running um, two businesses to drive to the ocean and find support and yeah, okay. people to be in it and costs you money because there's petrol involved and you know guys don't always want to give their time for free etc etc so there's um the swimming pool is 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 a vital place and also you know it's a, it's a very um a generic training zone you know so there's a line at the bottom and you've got a 25 meter pool and you know right i need to do if i'm planning a 30 kilometer swimming challenge rule of thumb is that i need to be getting about 30 kilometers a week of training Okay. So I will then try and do all 30 of those in a swimming pool. And that's nice and controlled because I know exactly how many laps I need to do a day and at what pace I need to do them, et cetera, to get the level of fitness. Mm. And then at least once a week, I will get in the ocean, which for me, most of the time is to organize a Robin Island crossing, sometimes a double. So I'll swim from the beach to the island and back, which is a 15-kilometer route. That's when I really want to be fit. But otherwise, it's just a single crossing um, where – it's fantastic training ground because that's where the mental side of it gets done. Yeah, yeah. Okay, remember, the swimming pool offers you nothing. If you did all your training in a swimming pool and then jumped in the ocean to do a long swim, you're in for a big fright. Um, <laughs> Jeez, because the, yeah. you, you really are. I mean, you know, the, the, the general pool temperatures are about 27, 28 degrees Celsius. Now you jump in our waters and it's down to 12 degrees Celsius. Yeah. Firstly, there, there's your big shock. Secondly, that water's never flat. Very rarely, anyway. Every now and again, you get a day where it's like mm. a mirror, which is wonderful. 
that um, you know, it's it's most of the time the wind will pick up and then you have this horrible little chop and sometimes bigger waves and that rolls you and uh, you know completely changes your stroke and changes the way you need to breathe and water you start gulping down salt water and it, it completely changes the playing fields. Then you've got the psychology of the things that swim with you and underneath you and might or might not be there mm. and then you then you've got the jellyfish and the blue bottles which most of the time are there and you're going to come out with some horrific sting um, sure. or some benign sting sometimes it's really horrible sometimes it's you know meh whatever yeah. um but most of the time you, you you're going to get stung the salt water will chafe you um you know it pickles your tongue as well if you're in for a length of time and uh yeah, so, so those are just a few. That's such an interesting uh, idea yeah, that, right? It pickles your tongue. <laughs> it pickles your tongue and your lips. Big God, my, yeah, so, my, so my, my creative imagination is seeing like this jar of pickled tongues right now. <laughs> yeah. <it's>, it's... <laughs> well, listen, right. after, you know, after you do the, I mean, Robin Island's um, in the water usually two hours, so that's not a big factor. If I do a double or, um, you know, when you do something like the English Channel, when you're in for, in, in my case, 13 hours in that water, you know, you can barely talk. Your your tongue is swollen and, and sore. It's mm. unavoidable. So, so it's, it's, all right. So just quick, because you, you said I must go to your website. And as you know, this the show is very, it's it's raw, not research. So I, I, yeah. I discover the story through through you. Um, right. But obviously, I, you know, I went, I, I did go look on your website just at a very, very brief scanning of it. And, you know, right. then I... I was giving myself the permission to look at your slide, which was your timeline of all your swims. So let's just, um, you know, cause I want to find out, you know, more to, to who Ryan is as well, you know, in just in terms of like your whole story of who you are as a human sure. being as well, you know? So just, yeah, tell us in, in sort of point form or timeline form, all these swims that you have done. Oh, wow. Um, well, yeah, um, I mean, if it's... Well, I if have a website, so I don't have to remember stuff like <laughs> this. <laughs> okay. Well, just briefly. <laughs> well, no, just can... briefly, you know, because so people can yeah, actually no, get an idea of these crazy swims that you've done. I can most certainly do that. I'm only joking. <laughs> okay. I, I will remember them all, but I'm certainly not going to get them in the right order. But okay. let me say my first my first swim that I did um, of any kind of note was Robin Island to Bloberg, and I did that in 2003. Um, so what's that, 17 years ago? Yeah, well, that's when um, you say you started swimming, right? Correct. So that was my first yeah, notable swim, and that was probably about six months after I had gotten into that the training squad. Wow, was that six um, months afterwards? Uh, approximately, yeah, six that's months, maybe a bit longer. Pretty good going. Yeah, don't, don't hold me to it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then I started to, to do um, one or two other Robin Islands, and then uh, you know further up our coast and even colder waters, and a little further off the shore is an island called Dassin Island, which um, only two people had ever swum from. So I thought I'd give that a try. And then I decided I wanted to try and swim around Cape Point, um, which is really wild and woolly weather and, and the wildlife out there, into False Bay. Um, so I started to do those swims. Um, and each time learning a little bit more about myself and my abilities and building a little bit of confidence. And during doing all these swims in and around Cape Town, I started to become quite fascinated by the element of cold. Okay. And this mm. is where, uh, this is where it all starts to, to get interesting because the element of cold is absolutely brutal to a human being. We have not evolved well to handle cold over millions of years. We have, however, evolved pretty darn well to avoid it. 
So when we throw ourselves into cold water, obviously the colder, the more profound the effect, our body and our mind does everything it can to convince us to get out. Mm. Okay? Because just to, to, to what I clicked and, you know, this had an epiphany early on in my swimming career, there are only two outcomes. One is your core temperature as a, as a human is going to heat the entire ocean up yeah. to its level. Yeah. Or alternatively, <laughs> the ocean is going to cool you down. Now, yeah. you guys can decide which is the more likely scenario, but I, yeah. I decided it long ago. <laughs> so you know that there, that there is an end point and, and your highly evolved defense mechanisms in your brain know this very well too. The only problem is what I realized through repeated immersions in this cold water was that it's completely overzealous. So when your mind tells you it's time to get out is not really when it's time to get out. There's actually a lot of margin on the other side and you can work through that and you can push yourself a lot further and you can process it differently. You can't will away hypothermia, but you can hold it at bay and you can extend your time in cold circumstances. Mm. So then I started to think, well, you know what, who else has figured this out and how far can I go? Who's done the furthest and the coldest, et cetera? And I started to become interested in things like that, which started a completely new journey. And, you know, through that process, you hook up with a bunch of mates who are like-minded and also, um, you know, starting to experiment with the, the, um, the, the length of time that they can spend in the cold. So we started to look for different challenges around the world. And one of the first ones we did outside of our South African borders was we went um, to a place called Ketchikan, Alaska, mm-hmm. and we read about a, a race that they do there around an island called the Pennock Island. Mm-hmm. And the water is about 12 degrees Celsius, so it's cold, and the distance around that island, if I remember correctly, was about four, uh, 14 kilometers in that 12 degree mm. and most of the locals do it in wetsuits and we decided let's go from South Africa and see if we can do that distance in their waters uh, just in our speedos um, and that was a fascinating journey not only learning a lot about um, how we can further our time in cold circumstances we also learned a lot about how Americans perceive South Africans doing silly things because there was lots of silly stuff along the way the swim wasn't that hard in the end so, um, yeah. you know, we started to get a bit adventurous. We, we hired a little plane, you know, in Alaska, everyone's got a plane. So it's not as, uh, yeah. not as cool as it sounds, but you know, one of those little seaplanes and we got the pilot yeah. to fly us right into the, the, um, into the mountains until we found a glacier and a very, very cold lake. And he landed on that lake where I don't think any human has ever been. And we had a swim there and that, you know, started to grow an adventurous spirit within me as well as, you know, a wealth of of knowledge and experience in increasingly cold situations. And then I think after um, doing this, the, the Pennock Island swim, we, we cruised down, we did the, the Alcatraz, um, I'm sure everyone knows. And who's, that. sorry, who's we? Um, it's a it's a bunch of mates and myself at the time, a, a gentleman called Ron Bokai and Kyron Palfreman, um, Andrew Chin and Tox Viviers. We were five of us who, who used to um, mostly do do a lot of stuff together. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we would we would then you know go from Alaska down to um to set up to to swim the the Alcatraz swim. I'm sure you know Alcatraz the rock. You know that it's got yeah. a fantastic reputation, and uh, we were all very nervous to do the swim. Well, I was anyway. Um, because they build it up like as an impossible feat, and uh, <laughs> it's like two and a half kilometers. It took me 33 minutes. It was probably one of the easiest swims I've ever done. Um, you know, so just explain that more to me. What do you mean they build it up? Well, 
if if you as a swimmer or even just mm. as not not a swimmer and most people have heard of Alcatraz as being the most impenetrable unescapable jail in the world um yes. and there's a movie that Sean Connery starred in called The Rock and you know so, yes. so swimming across the San Francisco Bay from Alcatraz to the mainland is deemed very hard or at least that's the, the brand that they've built around it and that's because of the the, the ocean itself because of the ocean and because of the sharks and, and and all the all the dangers that as South Africans you know we is our daily bread um so yeah so we weren't that freaked out but we did it and it was a lot easier than I thought and that also you know you start to learn these things the power of branding you know they've done a great job in making it um a big scary swim and every every yeah. swimmer from around the world at some stage wants to go and give it a go and and I just found it quite simple to be honest and, and how many kilometers is I mean, that like two and a half 2.7 whereas whereas Robin Island was seven you seven said, and a half about. yeah yeah, yeah. So, in, in comparison, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate that as opposed to Robben Island? Um, so, okay, so if Robben Island... Um, I don't know, 10 being difficult. Okay, 10 being the most difficult. Are we comparing it to Robben Island? I would say it's about yeah. it's about a third as difficult as Robben Island. So, 33... So, like I'm not using your scale. Easier. What? easier. Yeah, it's much easier. It's it's two it's yeah, two yeah. it's two and a half kilometers. Robin Island is seven and a half kilometers. Yeah, okay. By distance, anyway, it's obviously Correct. yeah. I mean, that's logical. Correct. But then, of course, and temperature difference was pretty much the same. Clearly, it gets a lot colder in okay. San Francisco in winter, so maybe they definitely yeah. got that. But then you know, then you just mustn't swim there. Um, and they've also got quite hectic currents, so you have to be a certain pace. You have to swim quite hard. So it has got things you need to do. Um. Anyway, yeah. I don't want to play it down too much. It was it was just an epiphany in my life because I was no, I was but so I mean, just said as you ex- said as you experienced yeah. it. Do you know what I mean? I, I remember just, yeah. getting into my hotel room sort of 33 minutes after jumping in the water because the hotel was just across the road from where we finished, and thinking, uh, oh. all all that hype and <laughs> all that hype for that little swim. <laughs> <thing. laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah. It was it was fun, and we were starting to grow a little bit of bravado. Um, and the journey. Did, yeah. um, d- sorry, just quickly, because you talk about Alcatraz. Do you know? Uh, yeah, okay, I'm throwing you in the deep end now. Mm. Excuse the pun, but I mean, do you know if any prisoners ever escaped Robin Island on that on that trip across? Or um, I don't think there's any recording of a prisoner escaping Robin Island and, and swimming safely to shore. I'm not, and I'm also yeah. uh, to be honest, I don't know that anyone tried and failed either. So um, it's actually it's yeah. actually an interesting fact. I must look that up. Um, and I know that you know, a few tried um, at uh, crossing Alcatraz, but never to be seen again. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So I, I don't know of any success. It is escapes. a nice fact. You should look that up and let yeah. me know, and I'll put it on the show notes when when All right. <laughs> when your episode is live. But it's quite it's good. It's quite interesting, it right? Indeed. To see how many yeah. people did try escape Alcatraz and got free. Yeah. How many did try escape Robben Island and got free? And yeah, did any of them ever get free? Yeah, I don't and, think so. Something I would have been interested in the early days, but I've long forgotten the stats. But uh, it's a great idea. I'll look that up for you and send you the info. <laughs> cool. cool. No, but anyway, yeah. So, so okay. And then, yeah, sorry. So now carrying on from there. So, so you did the Alcatraz swim. Correct. So so then, and then, then um, uh, the, the other one next of interest, I mean, there's, there's quite a lot in between. Remember, I'm, I'm swimming now nearly every week or every second week I'm doing something now. So there's, there's, there's quite a lot that happens. But mm. 
I decided with the bunch with that Tony Selmer that I mentioned, him and a few others, um, and who was also on that trip with a guy called Lewis Pugh. Um, was a very so Tony, the guy who introduced you, was on that Alcatraz trip as no, well. No, no, he wasn't. He's on the one I'm about to tell you now, where we decided to go and okay. swim, be the first South Africans to swim from Europe to Africa across the Straits of Gibraltar. Now, um, this was in That's this was imminent. in 2005. Okay, yeah. yeah. And so we went across, um, and I swam. My sister Jill Atwood. Um, came as well. She was also getting into swimming. So I'm very, very nice to tell you that I swam from um, Tarifa in Spain across to um, uh, Morocco in Africa. It was 17.5 kilometers. So it's not as impressive as it sounds, Europe to Africa. You could just say, okay, I, I yeah. could just say Tarifa to Morocco, but that doesn't sound as cool. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to stick with Europe to Africa. <laughs> yeah. But that's 17.5 kilometers. It's quite a difficult swim. <laughs> yeah, sorry. It's, yeah. It's quite a difficult swim because of the currents, and it's a very, very busy shipping lane, and uh, you have to swim hard, otherwise, you miss the Moroccan coast. And Africa kind of dents in, and suddenly your 17.5 k's becomes 13.5, something like that. Yeah. Um, so there, there are technical aspects to it, but the water is fairly warm, around 19, 20, 21 degrees Celsius. Um, and that was a fantastic achievement for me in my early swimming days. I've only been swimming for two odd years at that stage. Um, yeah. So I really loved that. And then the next thing on the that, that I remember, um, I remember now sitting in my little office. Um, working away at my advertising business and an email uh, popped into my inbox that had the title of, of swimmers uh, and take on uh, the South China Sea and the first time ever wanted to try and swim from um, Taiwan to China. So being interested in swimming, I opened the email and had a read and it was just a short info of, of what these group of Taiwanese and Chinese were trying to um, get this right in relay format. So I thought, well, that, that's yeah. really cool. And, How far is it? Um, about 130 to 140 kilometers as the crow flies. The route, Jeez. yeah. And uh, I remember sitting there thinking, oh, well, you know, that's something I'd like to follow. So I looked, there was a link in the, in the email that you could um, ask if you wanted to follow it. So I sent them an email just saying, um, I'd like to yeah, keep put me on your email list. I'd like to see how these guys do. And about five minutes after that, my landline rang. And um, it was uh, a gentleman called Mr. Wang Han, and he was phoning mm. me from Taiwan. He had seen my email, and um, through his broken English, I eventually figured out that he was trying to get me on an airplane to come over oh. to uh, to Taiwan and to um, join the team. And uh, later, it sort of came out that he reveres South African swimmers very highly and quite a good mental attitude, and the swim was going to be very, very hard. And I remember thinking, you know, what a joke. I mean, here I'm, I'm busy. I'm, I'm working. You know, it's not like I've got leave. I've got a full-time job and responsibilities. I can't just drop everything and go to Taiwan. Um, yeah. And How, did you have a child then? When um, was this? This was 2006, I think. Yeah, 2006. And um, no, I did not have a child. He came along in no, 2008. No. So I, I was married at the time. And um, yeah, so... But, uh, you know, I was very, uh, very busy with uh, running a, a small business. Um, and this wasn't really like even, you know, on my list of things to do. But I then mentioned it to a friend, a guy called Kyron, who I mentioned earlier. I said, you won't believe, but I got this email and the guy actually phoned me. 
And he's like, he really phoned you and said, come. So I said, sure, can you believe it? He says, well, let's go. And I remember having that little epiphany moment saying, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't even allowed that thought to enter my head. And long story short, eight days later, I arrived in Taiwan <laughs> to join a group of Taiwanese and Chinese um, to try and make an attempt to swim the South China Sea in a continuous relay. Would this have been the first time it would, yes, this has yeah, happened? It's never, never been attempted um, at all. And um, yeah. so it's certainly not, obviously not succeeded in. Um, but it was, I'm actually, I am writing a book, and this is going to make quite a fascinating chapter. I don't want to use your, your entire show to tell the details of the Taiwan to China, China um, attempt. It was the most insane experience of my life. Up until that point, I've had plenty more since then. But it was absolutely yeah. crazy being thrown into that. You know, it's not like you in Taiwan as a tourist, you in all the authentic areas, shoved with a bunch of young uh, Taiwanese guys and young Chinese guys, and there's so much political tension between the two. And uh, all yeah. of a sudden, you are now an English-speaking dude in a month. Were you the only foreigner? No. So Kyron came along, and then another guy called Andrew Chin, and, uh, and uh, a lady called Herda Silverman. So there were four South Africans in the end. The rest were Taiwanese or Chinese, and then four South Africans were invited. And I didn't even know. And no, no one from the UK no, no or one, no, no, no. America. No, no, it was just it was a Taiwanese and Chinese thing, but they wanted some experience and leadership in their um, in the teams, and they thought we would be the good candidates. And they didn't know me from a bar of yeah. soap. I only done like a few swims at that stage. And I've never really Yeah, okay, but he must have done his research. He, he did his research, yeah. So um, he thought we were, we were good candidates. Um, anyway, that was very interesting and uh, absolutely Okay, so you're experience. writing a book about that and Well, yeah, I'm writing called? a book and that. I, I don't know what the book's, well, maybe I do, but um, it's still, it's going to be a, a time before it comes out. And you know, if my, my manager listens to this uh, podcast, She's going to want to hit me with a stick because she's been asking me for this for so long. Um, I just, you know, I just, I need my story to get to somewhere that I want to go before I write the book. But anyway, it's in progress, and the book will probably yeah. be called something like "Pushing Past." This my little trademark is "Pushing Past Impossible." Okay. Which are the lessons okay. I learned? But basically, because you say you don't want to, you know, tell us the whole story on the podcast. But in terms of just the the most fascinating, interesting, <clears throat> challenging experience. Yes. Um, was that the swim itself or because you mentioned the political yeah. dynamic between the two countries. So was it just the whole thing or was it mainly also the swim itself? It was, it was definitely the whole thing. Um, but the swim and the logistics um, of that swim and being out in the South China Sea was just something else. So we were 33 people on a very small boat um, taking shifts to do a very... <laughs> like refugees going yeah, across... I, I, I tell you... Um, but when we arrived there, I mean, I can get sucked into the story, so stop me. But, you know, when we arrived there, it's very hard to communicate. So, I mean, you just kind of get on the bus with the rest and you don't know where you're going, what you're doing, how long you're going to be. And I remember arriving on, on the second day at this Taiwanese harbor and it stank like something you cannot describe. And it was this putrid dead fish smell and dead things lying in the harbor. And here was this little multicolored pink boat and uh they, yeah. they we were like look, looking at this thing well, what's going on now and they yeah. handed us um, a scrubbing brush and some detergents and told us to get in the water and start scrubbing the, the hull 
some guys got the, 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 the job to, to clean the deck and others, including myself, had to get in that water and start scrubbing. Um, now that on itself, by itself, <laughs> was just insanely disgusting. And we started to realize that we, we're in the deep end here and we are being treated like school kids and not given the option. Um, so we started to push back and that caused all kinds of, of issues on their own. Um, yeah. But the biggest epiphany. But did they have some? Did they have some kind of like mindset training behind this concept of you know it's no. you know that whole thing of you need to clean your own equipment as a sportsman or you know what I mean? Like was yeah. there some kind of mindset behind this that you had to do that? Or I'm sure there was, Jim, but it was all in Taiwanese, so we wouldn't have known. We were just given a scrubbing <laughs> brush. <laughs> we were. Oh my gosh, we were what a joke. Absolutely clueless. But the biggest epiphany we had, um, and this forms a very interesting part of the story, is that when we met the teams, the Chinese team and the Taiwanese team, my expectation was some really hardened, tough looking swimmers. And these guys were, were school kids and out of just out of school, you know, youngsters. Mm. Um petite. Some petite, some built like am I allowed to say a rude word? brick something yeah um you know what i mean yeah um really well built and and you know cut and they used to like laugh at our undefined bellies we didn't have the six packs that they had you know we were more built for the cold um and they were all very good uh, swimmers because i think in in china you don't kind of wake get born and decide what you want to do yourself you kind of get told you're gonna be a swimmer you're gonna be a ping pong player you're gonna Uh do it you know so They'd been doing this yeah. from Ping pong from whatever. So so we all went down to the pool to, to calibrate and to swim and to train and that and um they were brilliant swimmers. But we learnt like on day two that not one of them has ever been on a boat, let alone swum in the sea. And as I described earlier, you can't train in the pool and then jump in the sea, let alone the South China Sea for five consecutive days in a 24-hour <laughs> were they relay. Were they sending you off with a bunch of prisoners, actually? <laughs> it seemed like it. <laughs> they were really, really nice guys. But um, anyway, so, so the story progressed. and We had to try and speak to, to, um, you know, the, to the organizers and say, we've got to get in the sea. I want to, we've got to have these guys um, a little bit sea trained, at least having a few controlled sessions before we get on that boat and then um, while that was all brewing one of Taiwan's biggest monsoons started to roll in so the whole thing was delayed and we got oh my we, word. Uh, we were hunkered down in this apartment that had zero furniture in it so it was just like mm. these floors and we were given uh, like a one centimeter thick mattress no blanket no pillow nothing just a mattress and we had to just like put clothes over us to sleep and we were in there for about four or five days um, with a bunch of so were they were they paying you for this expedition no, or no, not what? At all. no they paid for us to come and they were paying for our accommodation and they paid for the considerable expense of you know all the logistics around it so we weren't paying in um i think we paid our flights there and back and that was it yeah um so how long were you there in total i think about eight days in total Eight or nine okay, so it's not like your business took a major time. No, hit. no, no, no. But there's a. It would have been longer, but um, it was not a successful attempt. So uh, yeah. we, we, things went pear shaped out in the middle. But you read the book. Okay, for that. so just something I want to um, 
also just ask a question <coughs> to you. You mentioned earlier that we're built for the cold. So, so um, explain, like, how does that work with you? Because obviously if you're doing so much swimming, I mean, you are going to get, you would think that you would get ripped yeah. because you're doing just so much exercise. Like what's your, you know, your <coughs> diet program or how do you, you know, yeah. train around that or how do you build yourself for the cold? Yeah. So, so very quickly, very simply, the fatter you are, the better it is for cold swimming. Um, obviously, yeah, uh, I get and, that. And, like, and obviously you know, the whales, and... yeah, obviously, the caveats to that, you, you know, because you start to get unhealthy, you can't be that obese. But I'm not an obese person, I'm quite, um, I'm, I'm definitely don't have the right physique for ultra extreme cold swimming, and yet I, I do do mm -hmm. it, so I, I rely a lot on the mind. But very simply, the more padding you have, the better. So, when we are training for a long cold swim you are, your diet needs to change to to help you put on as much weight as possible the more weight you okay. you, you carry the better now i've never been yeah. very good at that although you know often lockdown I'm, i can probably handle cold a lot better <laughs> <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> but we look we were all in we were all in pretty good shape uh, to be honest but not quite like the you know the, the school kids with their with their six packs and you know that's all they did was train yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay. You, you, you said briefly that, you know, with the, with that trip, you would need to read the book to hear it. And I think that's also quite nice anyway. It's, it's also nice for you to have that goal to, yeah, yeah. to write that book, yeah, you know, no. Ryan. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. Don't, don't you start on me now. I am. Oh no, I will. You should never tell me things <laughs> like this. I'm like, I'm the, I'm the worst person to, to know these yeah. kinds of facts. That's... But, um, so what's, um, yeah. So, I mean, just because we, you know, I, I, let, let's just break away from this for a moment. Like, okay. who, who is, who was Ryan as a boy? So you grew up in Cape Town. Yep. Um, I have, I grew up in Cape Town, born and bred in, in Cape Town. Um, two, okay. two amazing parents who were married right up until the day my mom passed away about uh, one and a half going on five years ago. Um, I have mm -hmm. an older brother who's only 11 months older than me which okay. makes me a mistake or accident, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, I'll, 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 yeah. I've got over it. Uh, and then I've got two <laughs> wonderful sisters. So we're a family of four kids. We all school. It's... No, you were just a quick swimmer, right? Yeah, I've always been a good swimmer. There you go. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I knocked on the door, but sooner than they expect, I think. Yeah. Um, and yes, I'm very tight with my family. Uh, my dad is absolutely my role model and uh, wonderful. And my sisters are completely different to one another. I love them both. Um, and my brother is you know, probably, if he put his mind to it, would be a better swimmer than, than I would ever be. In fact, there's some funny stories mm -hmm. around that as well. But we all, we're all very close. We all live um, close to each other in Cape Town still to this day. And, wow, that's uh, amazing. We do a lot of stuff together. Yeah, my brother works out of the country, but he's, he's in and out. Um, his family yeah. are all here. Um, I went to Rondebosch Boys School, 12 years at the same school. Um, I was never into any kind of sport. I played rugby. I played a bit of water polo, but I was a, very much a C team um, player. My heart was never in it. That was just something I did because the other guys did it. Um, I played a season of cricket once because there was a jam donut and a Coke after the season. <laughs> and that 
was <laughs> yeah. was the incentive I needed. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I mean, in junior school, I did some swimming, but no no swimming through high school at all. Um, and I was pretty much um, maybe slightly above average um, academically. So I always passed quite comfortably in that, but I was not top of my class. I was kind of run of the mill. Um, yeah. But what I did when I was younger, my dad uh, put a guitar in my hands. And um, while all my mates were going to motor mechanics and cool boy stuff, my dad and mom shoved me into beginner guitar lessons. And I went mm. in kicking and screaming um, because mm. that was not the cool thing to do when you were at school. Um, mm. And I love them more for that than anything else because I continue to teach myself guitar and I, it's one of the best things I've ever done. You know, So I play strum a very poor guitar, but I can entertain you around a campfire. Um, and I, yeah. and I had a little band at school and that gave me the cool factor that I needed. So that's probably what made me stand out at school. <laughs> Certainly wasn't sport. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and then yeah, much later in life, when I was in my, let's call it when I turned thirty, approximately, let's give or take, that's when I started swimming, and that sort of morphed into what I've done now, which is some some stuff around the world, and then very recently, and we can talk more about this, but um, you know, only about seven years ago, um, I was convinced to start telling the story, very reluctantly, kind of like the book story, but, yeah, and um, my my. Um, like on stage, you mean? Yeah. So yeah. So you know, put a story together and and uh, see if see if you can inspire people. And I did it once, and it just took off like wildfire. Everyone really, really enjoyed wow. it. Wow. I, I realized that. So tell me about that day. Tell me about that first oh, day wow. of of standing up and doing this. Okay. So let, let me tell you. Firstly, my um, manager. I call her my manager because she's my sister as well, Jill Atwood. Yeah, so well, I put two and two yeah. together because you mentioned Jill Atwood, and then of course I saw yes. re recognized the name. Uh, yeah. yeah, so she's so she. Um, I used to. She was in my sales business. She used to work for me, and we used to go sit in these sales conferences. In your sales business, Correct. or in the sorry, advertising well, it's it's, it's an advertising sales business. I'm an advertising okay. sale now, so yeah, same thing. Yeah. Um, and we used to go to these conferences, um, sales guru conferences, and there would be a inspirational speaker up on stage telling about some cool thing, adventure that he's had. And I used to sit there in awe going, wow. And Jill would um, give me a fat elbow in the ribs and go, you know what? Your stories, if you just think about it, are much better than that guy. I'm like, yeah, but he's on stage telling them it's so cool. So she started putting pressure on me to, to, um, a story together because by then I'd done quite a lot of swims around the world. I've completed the English Channel and, and various others. And um, I went to that sales guru conference CEO, Mark Keating, and very sheepishly said, look, I'm a delegate at your, um, your conferences. And I also do the swimming stuff in my spare time that no one knows about. And I reckon I can, and I'm a salesman, um, so maybe I can put that all together and, and be your next speaker. And he kind of had a look at me and uh, we, we had a few more chats and eventually hired me to talk. And I didn't have a talk at that stage. In fact, the, 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 the mm. main climax of the talk that I give hadn't even been done when I was hired. Um, yeah. Anyway, I put a talk together that uh, really is my journey from the couch to now you know, setting, breaking or setting records and doing stuff that humans shouldn't be allowed, able to do, setting the bar quite high. Um and the messages that I've taken out of the swimming, the, what the cold has taught me about the defense mechanisms of the mind and how, you know, the, the lessons have been taught in the cold, but they're exactly applicable to everyday life. 
every time we come to an yeah. uncomfortable situation or something where failure is imminent, we, we, we revert to, to comfort. So anyway, I put a lovely story together that transcends all boundaries, not just a nice swimming story. It's full of messages. And, yeah. and Mark was very nervous as the CEO of his company because eventually that day in September arrived when I had to go up on stage and there were 550 people in the audience and they had all paid at that stage 900 grand to be there. So it's not like it was just a company conference where, uh, sure. you, you know, you pay, the, 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 the employees had to be there to listen to it was on stage. These guys had paid to be there to learn sales lessons. And I was extremely nervous and he was well aware that I'd never stood on a stage before. And uh, mm-hmm. I remember like five minutes before going up, there was another guy on stage just doing intros and, and Mark was sitting next to me. He's like, Ryan, what, what, whatever you do, don't get the caged animal look. And I was like, well, what, what the hell is the caged animal look? And apparently like yeah. nervous speakers on the stage start pacing left and right and left and right and you get into this habit. And then it's like, yeah, yeah. make sure you don't turn your back and look at the screen behind you. You know, you look forward, you'll lose your audience. So he was extremely nervous and uh, making me Jeez, extremely talk nervous. about a vote of confidence. Yeah, and I was, uh, I was um, petrified to be honest. And then they strap that little thing to your cheek, so if you even cough or sniff, the whole world hears you. Um, and suddenly everyone was clapping, and I walked up on the stage and delivered an hour keynote. Uh, and I got a 550 person standing ovation on my first one. Um, wow. absolutely loved it. And yeah, you know, it sounds arrogant me telling the story, but exactly how it happened. And that has just snowballed. You know, that was word of mouth. Because in those 550 people, there were many, many people representing their own companies who wanted me to come talk there. And, and all of a sudden I had a, a, a speaking career and that has now taken me a to full agenda to stages all around the globe. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me on that note, like, obviously you've got the swimming, which is a part of your motivational story um, and the whole psychological mindset in that, behind that, within that. um, And then you have, uh, and the adrenaline of that. And then you have the adrenaline of getting up on stage, because let's face it, every time you get up on stage, I mean, I've done that many times as well, you know, audiences of up to a thousand and you're like, you know, freaking out. And then you get up on stage and you do your thing, you come off and you feel like you can, you know, conquer the world. Um, like how ha, does do you sometimes just want to give up one of them or is it that the one motivates the other one or does mm. the other one supersede the other one? You know, how does it work in your head? Oh, interesting. You know, I've got them, they're on such separate planes for me. You know, the one is, um, yeah. I, I'm, you know, I'm, the, I'm a real pain in the butt to anyone who, who tries to push me into this. Like my, I'm referring specifically to Jill, who's really believes in me and has been 100% right, thankfully. Um, that is so beautiful, by the way, always, to have a sister and a sibling, you know, yeah. who who encourages your great <clears throat> potential. Oh, well, thank you. Um, yeah, and, and she deserves every accolade. Um, but yeah. I, I often lack the confidence. I can't believe that people would want to listen to the stories. Um, I, I get it now, but it took me a long time um, before I started to realize just how unbelievably impactful the stories that I tell on stage and actually are to the people listening to me. And mm. there are many times when, for example, I was hired to do a, a talk for company presidents the other day. So there's a room full of CEOs and company presidents. Okay. These are the guys at mm. the absolute top of their careers. Um, 
And for what types of companies? Uh, all, all, all different types. It was uh, there was okay. no. It was. It wasn't. Um, it was the. Uh, it, it wasn't confined to one specific industry. So I, I can't even tell you. But from big financial houses uh, to big food manufacturers, etc. But all the, the top end. And it's kind of a, um, a, a society of these people. And I remember going into that talk thinking, what on earth, you know, am I going to teach these people? And I remember mm. just giving the talk because I always relax when I'm on stage because it's just a story that I tell and uh, you know I build in the, the, the messages required. And they all they wouldn't let me leave after that. You know, I still to this day um, I am in contact with them when often these guys have problems and their problems. Obviously, I can't give them step one, two, or three or how to solve whatever specific issue they're dealing with, but how they think about it and how they approach it is where I come in. And I, yeah. I didn't even know I had that skill. And that's picked up from years and years of swimming and, and really understanding how the human mind works. You know, we, we haven't told your, your listeners yet that, um, you know, I eventually started going from, from cold water into extreme cold water into minus one degree water and swims in Antarctica, et cetera, where, uh, you, you know, things get very, very real. And um, I managed to pull off swims that medical sciences shouldn't have been possible, et cetera. And, you know, that's all a mindset thing. So, I've got a bit of street cred when it comes to understanding the mind. Um, and I have, a bit of street cred. And I have now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I also run a business, so I, I do cross that divide. Um, so yeah. I'm, I'm answering your, your question about which one do I love, et cetera. So the speaking was is a real love of mine. I love standing up there. I now totally embrace the fact that I help people. The other day a woman came up to me after a talk. Usually I get the, the, the standard, wow, that's so inspiring. I'm going to try hard at this and I'm going to look at that differently. This lady came to me and said, and she's very pregnant, and she said, you know what, I'm canceling my cesarean and I'm going to give natural birth because that's what I really want to do. I'm just too scared to do it. Um, and now after your wow. talk, I'm going to do it. And about two months later, she phoned me up again and said, and I heard the baby crying in the background. She said, thanks for that. You know, And, oh. and then that's just one little anecdote. Um, and that one stands out for me because it was so bizarre that I could inspire someone to give natural birth. I mean, who would have thought? Yeah, I, I mean, and, and how stunning is that, right? I mean, it, that's, I, I, I hear what you're saying, who would have thought, because you're a guy and you're inspiring a woman to give natural birth. But um, I get it, I get it, because by nature, women know, you know, I mean, I've given natural birth twice yeah, and – uh, yeah, I mean, the second time, both times natural, as I said, but the second time, like in my home, no one around, just a midwife, didn't do anything. I took the baby out myself, like, you know, just the most normal, natural experience that wow. childbirth should be, wow. you know, but obviously we're indoctrinated to, to believe that people need to help us. Yeah. And yes, complications happen. I'm, I'm, I'm not oblivious to that, but, um, by nature and by, you know, instinctively in the same way, instinctively you've taken on this journey and this, the swimming journey, there's so much instinct that's played out in this, right? Correct. That's, that's also where you've become self-taught in the psychology environment. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. And, and well done to you. And I, I think, you know, you mentioned the psychology environment and I'm not a trained psychologist by any stretch of the imagination. However, yeah. the, the cold has helped me understand the mind. And the more I talk about it, the more I read about it, the more I research it, I, I probably have the credentials. Um, you know, if, if there was a certificate for it, I would, I would have that certificate. Um, we haven't evolved well to handle the cold. And, the, the, you know, the amount of times that I'm – I've done that Robin Island Crossing, by the way, 109 times now. 
on every single one of those 109 times, it's, it's standard practice for me, but on every single one of those swims, at some stage I've got negative and I've started to look for reasons why I should rather get into the support boat or why I can fail without losing too much face. Okay. And that is mm. a defense mechanism and you don't know it at the time. You think you're just being silly or you, you, you actually believe that you are too cold and that you're going to die. Um, but all it is is a defense mechanism that doesn't want you to feel the pain of failure. Okay. Because we've evolved with these wonderful defense mechanisms to keep us safe. This gateway to greatness that lives in our head, our mind is actually our biggest limitation because it's designed to keep you safe, it wants to keep you inside your comfort zone so you don't walk into fire or throw yourself off a cliff. Um, you know, you can imagine, you know, in caveman days, that was probably relevant. But it's also mm. evolved in the world we live in to keep us safe from the emotional pain that comes from failure. Because when we fail as humans, there's a little bit of pain, there's hurt, and there's embarrassment, mm. and there's consequences, etc. So it's extremely easy not to try. So the easiest thing mm. for a human to do is to look for excuses. And sometimes we don't look for those excuses um, cognitively. It happens subconsciously. They just happen by default in the mm. back of your brain. Yeah. And yeah. you're like, should I try this? The outcome could be epic. No, because it could also be disastrous. So I shall stay yeah. in my lane. I shall get my yes. salary, salary check. My manager will be happy. Boom. And what we do is, you know, everyone's heard this saying that if you don't try, you've already failed. Straight yeah. away, you know, and, and a mind stretched by new experiences will can never go back to its old dimensions. Okay? And that mm. is something that I've learned in droves thanks to the element of cold. And um, I apply that to business and I sit with them, with, with the top business people in this country and, and now around the world um, chatting to them. Yeah, by using swimming and the the cold as the metaphor to correct and challenges, to, the yeah. cha challenges yeah. and surviving and dealing with curveballs that are thrown um, because no swimming attempt ever goes the way you plan it. Um, dealing with your internal uh, defense mechanisms and desires and beliefs, um, and obviously right down to preparation to support teams and the importance of that and delegating and relying on others to be your eyes and ears and you, know, you just focusing on the job at hand and leadership and everything factors into to a swimming challenge that is directly related yeah. to, to the rest of our worlds. So, because um, earlier you mentioned it as well and now it ties in with what you're saying now, but so when, because your mind then kicks in, it's obviously to protect you, you know, to say, I need to get out. This is not right. I'm hyperventilating when, you know, earlier on you said, well, actually I'm not hyperventilating yet. Mm -hmm. Like then, because now you also mentioned you swam in extreme cold situations. Yeah. Um, was, and where was that? Let me, let me tell you that journey a little bit. So once we're done. Okay, wait, but yeah. so, so before you do then, okay. just to finish this, this question. So yeah. how, how do you know okay, this is cutoff point now, I will hyperventilate. Like, how do you know then the difference between, okay, this is now danger zone? Well, very very good question because, um, you, you know, what, what I do is I am pushing limits. I know there is a limit, but I do know that where my mind tells me the end point is is not where the end point is. There's, there's a lot of... Yeah, yeah, I get on, that. On the, on the, but the then how side. do you know when the end point well, is? Well, I don't. That's why I'm pushing the limits to see where it is. Yeah. But you're asking generally. So my, my messaging is very clearly, 
there is a limit. So don't try and do it. I'm not saying that anything is possible and you can swim forever in cold water. It will kill you eventually. But what I'm saying is that in every area of life, and certainly in swimming, um, you are going to want to get out a lot sooner. And you need to, through trial and error and through practice and through understanding your own body and your own mind, work out those that firstly gain that mental experience and then start working out your own mental tricks or methods or techniques to extend your time and to convince your mind or to override your mind or convince your mind that you are not dying and that you actually can do another half an hour or hour or whatever if you want to measure it in, in, in kilometers. Mm. So I can't tell you when you know is the end point. You'll know when you know. Um, and that is also, no, but I want to know. I want to know Ryan's from your uh, experience. When when do you, in your mind or body, mm. know? Okay, this is. I'm going to get out now. Um, I mean, is it is it lit, is it uh, only when you get to the destination? Then it's like, okay, I'm going to get well, out. Well, now. that's well, that's yeah. You know, I I, I don't want to sound arrogant by by saying that, but you know, what I start, I finish, um, and they are failures in my life and there was you know I, I took on the north channel i tried to swim from ireland to scotland in uh, 12 mm. degree water it's a 35 kilometer stretch of water and i chose a bad day which is my fault um, and i got something called um sipe s-i-p-e which is swimming induced pulmonary edema so smack up mm -hmm. 19 kilometers into that swim i very very nearly died but because i was so determined to get to scotland and because I've trained so hard for this and because I'm so used to being hypothermic and extremely uncomfortable, um, I, I knew I was feeling a lot worse than I should, but I was ready to try and push through that because I just wouldn't fail. Now, that is where, so, you know, the, the, the answer is Ryan didn't know that that was the end. <laughs> my support crew yeah. pulled me out because my, my, I eventually took my goggles off and swam away from the boat. I was so delirious. I had no oxygen going into my brain. But, um, oh, okay. I'm so used to feeling terrible that. Um, but how did they know that from outside the boat? They didn't know it soon enough. So they learned a lot from me. Um, that what they did know was that my stroke rate after five hours I was swimming really well, and then all of a sudden between hour five and six, uh, my stroke rate went to to pieces, and they were yelling at me to pick my stroke rate up because you've got to beat the currents. A very technical swim, um, and they, yeah. they scream at you. You know, that's not like, hey, Ryan, how are you feeling? Do you like a cup of tea? It's like, do you want to go to Scotland or do you want to go back to South Africa? You know, move it, move it, move. So they scream at you. You're like, hang on, but there's something, something more wrong here. You know, this isn't right because I remember losing all power in my arms. But remember, I'm quite mm. hypothermic. You know, my brain is not functioning properly. And in this case, what I didn't know was my lungs were filling up with water. And uh, oh, so there was, no, there was no oxygen going to, to my brain. So I was getting more and more confused. Mm. Um, and they were going to, you know, they, they don't want to pull me out just because I'm getting slower. Um, they didn't realize I was dying. And when they did realize I was dying, which suddenly became very evident, they pulled me out and we got the Coast Guard to come bring me back to life. So that's, you know, not, not a story I tell very often. But you ask, when does Ryan know the end point is? And I didn't even know that was the end point. I would have tried to keep going and I would have died. There's no doubt about it. So... Mm. That's why you need a good support crew who know you, know your demeanor in the cold, know your abilities, and um, do their very best to watch for the, the signs. Yeah, and I mean, <clears> this is the thing, you know, because you were talking earlier about also, you know, swimmers, you were, you were just 
referring to just swimmers also in the pool and you know I mean your your swimming is it's it's a whole nother challenge you know to just swimmers who are swimming huh? pool competition I mean your yours there's another kick happening here for you which obviously you talk about I mean the in terms of you know being in these extreme conditions and especially for you the cold so it's not just the extreme conditions of being in in the ocean but it's the cold as well which is so fascinating yeah. to you um like what is it what what like why can't you just be satisfied with a pool I, sure, I, I don't know. Um, you don't learn anything in the pool. You can learn how fast you can go and you can learn how many laps and how much boredom you can overcome in a pool. Uh, no, but I mean, if you're competing in the Olympics, for example, oh, yeah, sorry. then I mean, I mean, I mean, there's just, a major win there. You know, disrespect to, to Rake and my mates. Um, you know, that, that's, that's their game. I'm not very fast. I never was, so that's never interested me. I, okay. I, I was always going to be Mr. Average in, in that. So, um, you know what? What I and again remember, uh, Jen. I didn't set out to do this. This has all been a, a kind of journey that slowly evolved. Um, yeah. I didn't say, "Oh, I want to be an ice swimmer and then jump in the ice." You know, it's, it's started to learn lessons in this level of cold. Maybe I can try colder and colder and colder all the way down to Antarctica. Um, and I think it's just the, the the challenge. It's a massive challenge on me. It really is um, because I don't like the cold. I'm not. Someone who goes, oh, I love being cold, and oh, it's lovely. I'll have a cold shower this morning. Mm. Not a chance. Did I wait for that hot water to come through my shower before I'm prepared to move underneath <laughs> it? Just, <laughs> just like anybody else. Um, however, when I <laughs> yeah, exactly, you're not saying, oh, this is so great, like a happy cold shower. You're like, where the frick? Where's no, my water? You're fibbing. <laughs> no one likes it. Like well, I, I battle, but when when I get my mind in it. Um, that is what entices me to, to try something more and to try something colder and further. Um, and listen, we'll be talking as if I'm still doing this. I am to a degree, but I, I have pushed limits in the cold to places that, um, most humans never will. Uh, in fact, I guarantee the vast majority of ice water swimmers will never go this far. Um, so I feel I've done enough. Um, in, and in that the, is what, like, what's the most extreme? The most extreme I've done. I'll, I'll tell you two quick stories. So one was on the journey to the most extreme, but um, a guy called Ron Bokai, who was my friend at the time, started something called the International Ice Swimming Association. Uh, is he not your friend anymore? Uh, we we bump heads. Um, oh, okay, yeah. And he, it's it's the the International Ice Swimming Association, and together I'm a founding member with him. We came up with a bunch of rules um, that. You know, if you want to say you've done an ice swim, you have to swim a one-mile distance. That's 1,609 meters, wearing only a Speedo-type costume uh, and a cap. Um, you have to swim in an outdoor body of water, and that water must be five degrees Celsius or below. Okay, so we came up mm -hmm. with this International Ice Swimming Association, and we sent that out into the world to say, anybody who wants to do an official ice mile, follow our rules, and we will give you the certificate and recognize that you've done it and, you know, build in all the safety stuff, et cetera. Yeah. And shortly after that became formalized, we were invited, myself, Ram, and, and the other gentleman I mentioned, Kyron, who were to a place called Tumin, Siberia. And uh, without doing much more homework, sitting in, in, you know, sunny South Africa, we said, yeah, we'll come to Tumin, Siberia and partake in your ice swimming event. And when we got there, the temperature was minus 33 degrees Celsius. 
So <laughs> it, mm-hmm. it was a level that I had never, ever experienced. I was too scared to take off one of my two gloves, let alone yeah. take off the five layers of clothing into my speedo and then jump into um, zero degree water cut straight from the frozen lake. Um, so that was hyper, hyper extreme. Swimming in minus 33 outside is, is something else. And that set us up um, to make an attempt uh, on a one-mile distance um, in Antarctica. The initial mission was to try and be the first in the world to swim a one-mile distance south of the Antarctic Circle. Um, but we, we missed that goal just for weather uh, weather reasons. But we still swam um, where there was the water was minus one degree. The salt water freezes below zero. And uh, at that stage, the, the research around it said that a human's not going to survive more than, we're not going to be able to perform for more than five to ten minutes in water that's cold with the rapid onset of hypothermia, um, quite possibly followed shortly by death. And what mm-hmm. I went to do there would put me in that water. <laughs> I like how you say that, by the way. Yeah. Quite possibly followed shortly by death. <laughs> it's generally the next step. <laughs> Yeah, but because of everything we'd done to this point, um, we didn't believe that that would happen, or, or, or you know, we know it could happen, but we, we thought we could push past that. Um, and uh, I was in that water for 32 minutes on that day, minus one degree, and I managed 32, 32 minutes, so longer, much much longer, three times longer here. Um, and I completed the mile distance, which was the first in Antarctica in minus one degree. Um, and that, yeah, and that, that forms the basis of much research and debate around the world. And um, also, so, so were you the first to do that? In minus one, officially, yes, I was. I did it with um, the two gentlemen who, unfortunately, on the day, did not make their, their full distances. Um, and then there were three other guys who later in that day attempted it, and two of them made it as well. Official okay. ice miles in Antarctica. Wow, that's that's yeah. like feather under the cap, huh? Yeah, you know, it was it was a big thing for us. Not not that many people um, knew about it. Um, and we, we didn't exactly broadcast it, but it's it forms a fascinating Why part not? of my story. We did. Why on, would you know, not have broadcasted it? Um, not not intentionally. You know, there's not a massive amount of interest in in a, in a bunch of guys doing silly stuff. Um, but it's definitely got some traction. And when I started doing my talks and I made that quite an, I've got a beautiful video that I show of that attempt, um, which brings, okay. which, which sums up a, a hell of a lot of, um, of my story and the messaging. Um, and that has now become made it fairly big, bigger than it was. You know, we, we just post these things on, on Facebook. Remember, we don't do these things to get limelight. Never wanted to be a talk, a speak, inspirational speaker. We don't do it to be in the papers or on TV. Um, we, we do it for yeah. personal reasons. Do we push our boundaries? We, we strengthen our sure. minds. Um, so it's not like we take a PR agent with us. Um, so, so that's uh, they've got they've got some news coverage, but not a lot. Yeah. So, um, like, what's your what's your <coughs> destination with these challenges? I mean, mm. you know, where are you at right now with with your your goals or your visions with these challenges, these swimming ice cold <coughs> challenges. So the ice cold stuff for me is, is um, I don't want to say over. I'm going to say I'm uh, on hold. Every time I say I'm done with it, something else crops up, you know, but uh, you know, I've done so much that I've you know, tried to swim from Russia to the USA. And you know, there's, I've been to the Arctic and Antarctica, as you've heard, 
So it's, I've really done so much with the cold and learned so much, and the messages I've got from it um, are brutal. I've also pushed myself to the brink of um, seeing the light, <laughs> to be euphemistic. Yeah, literally. Um, yeah. So I've shifted a little <laughs> bit, and I'm quite keen to I still keep myself very fit. And I've done other swims, which I consider fun. For example, the other day I went and swam from France to Italy, which is the Bonificio Strait, um, which is just nice little things to do. Um yeah, and that's like then a walk in the park, right? It, it, it is until you, you know, but as soon as you, as soon as you calibrate your mind and put it in the walk in the park category, the ocean's going to kick your butt. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting really, though, isn't it? Huh? When you get complacent in life. Absolutely. Again, this Robin Island that I keep coming back to, I've done it 109 times. The day I don't give it the respect it deserves, I will see my butt. I know that much. Yeah. Um, anyway, where was I going with that? Oh, I'm I'm now looking. There's some local swims. There's a mass. There's a body of water here called False Bay. I don't know if you know it. Um, in, yeah. In Cape Town, and uh, we'll just explain that to people that don't know. So it's it's meant to be one of the most um, the biggest breeding grounds of the great white shark, um, but it's about 35, 36 kilometers across as the crow flies. Been attempted, I think, about 30 to 35 times, and there have been five successes to date. Um, and I am quite keen to make an attempt on that. So I'm calibrating myself for that. I've also got other opportunities um, in, in, um, around the world. Actually, I'm not going to go into those right now. Um, so I'm looking mm -hmm. at the longer, maybe slightly warmer water stuff than pushing myself for very short distances in intense cold right now. In the cold, and then yeah. Where so I should be right now, by the way, is... I mentioned the I, I, I've never rowed, I've never even sat in a rowing boat, but I took on a ch challenge to with a bunch of real crazy nuts to try and row from Iceland to Norway, actually the other way around, from Norway to Iceland and um, in the Arctic yeah. Ocean. And so I was uh, before lockdown busy preparing my body and mind to be, to become a rower, um, and then obviously oh, wow. lockdown messed that up. So yeah, that's, that, that, those are yeah. the kind of things. Still very much uh, into. Um, you know, pushing myself in new horizons because you learn so much. It's just fascinating. But what I what I do still want to to sort of feel feel is like, you know, what's where's the drive? I mean, you already understand the power <coughs> of the mind, right? So where are you going with all of these challenges? You know what? I don't. It's it's a journey. There, there is no. It's not about the destination. And I, and I'm not trying to give you clever sayings to to get out of it. But I I genuinely don't know. But what I've realised, and I actually just wrote a blog post about this, which hasn't even been published, is that I had an epiphany the other day. You know, a massive storm came into Cape Town, and mm. I see the storm coming. Like there's meant to be one on uh, on Thursday as well. I see that coming, and I don't think of of uh, hunkering down. That's when I put on my speedo or my running shoes and my hiking gear and I hit the mountain. I go into the eye of the storm. I, that excites me. It's something in me that has changed. It wasn't always this way. That I want to go into the elements. Um, the ocean is a great leveler. It's, it's, it's going to, if you disrespect it, it's going to wallop you. You know that. But it teaches you stuff. It teaches you about you. Um, and like now, the other day I went up on the mountain in the storm where everyone else was, you know, warned to, to stay indoors. Um, I, with a mate, Mark de Klerk and myself, we head up uh, into the mountain and we, we go and we, we watch those rivers overflow and we, we do silly things. Um, and 
I realized in this little epiphany moment that that is me. That is what is driving me. I don't know where that ends, but I run towards mm. that, not away from it. Um, and I'm still understanding that that side of myself. Um, you know, a lot of the swims I've done have been pushed for personal goals, and then you meet a bunch of mates, and it's you know, well, I'm doing it because he's doing it. Um, you, mm. you get into that phase, and then that sort of changes, and you set, you keep setting bigger and better goals. Um, well, you you talk about you mentioned it a few times, and it's a part of your story, huh? Is the the sort of the couch potato. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I don't know, like in a way, it's almost like you have, it's like, that's the little boy in you that sees yourself that way. And, and you're, you know, you're running away from that going into the eye of the storm, which that's what makes you feel connected with yourself as opposed to this sort of idea that you have of yourself as a younger boy. You know what I mean? Like, because like we all get indoctrinated with these ideas in our head from young And, you know, what's nice is, and definitely that's such a motivational, um, yeah, lesson for people, obviously, is to to go towards as opposed to away, huh? To go towards the storm yeah. as opposed to run away from it, you know, yeah. or or run away from the problem. Um, but, yeah, you know, because, yeah, anyway, it's just uh, I'm sort of putting these two and two together, you know, of the fact that you, you talk about that couch potato, but the fact – that you you became enlightened into this exciting world and that's where you felt alive as opposed to this idea in your head of being this couch potato, which you aren't, you know? Correct. I think you sum it up really well. Um, and again, if I can just say that is what, I th- what I've been told many, many times is why I'm enjoyed on stage because I am very relatable. So hmm. I, I don't pedestal myself at all. And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm regurgitating what people say to me all the time, and I've taken it on board. Um, I don't, I'm not on any pedestal. I guarantee you, any audience that listens to me, or anyone that I chat to, get over a beer, they feel very related. They probably say it cheap as I actually, I have more abilities than this guy, but yet he's gone and done all these things around the world that I've never done, and they, they, they draw a lot from that. Um, whereas, Absolutely, whereas there, there yeah. are a lot of people who you kind of, and me included, I used to sit and look at these guys on stage and they kind of position themselves as superhuman and it's a wonderful story to listen to and you're inspired to do better in your own life but you would you mm. never think that you could do what they do um and uh yeah i, I think that's what i try and push audiences you don't have to swim in the cold but find your own journey but i think and that's you know for me that's why i do what i do in terms of bringing stories to the surface if through my eyes through my heart you know through my inquiry because um you know all these stories connect us in some way yeah. do you know what yeah, i mean absolutely. there's always something relatable no matter how big a achievement you've you've you know created for yourself in your life or you know there's always a connection in human beings okay. and yeah, you know, no one's going to, well, there will be some people who will strive for what you've done or or maybe even more challenging. Um, but everyone has that sort of, you know, secret little desire of what they want to do. And it just takes the facilitator of, you know, the story to, to show, well, it can be done because I did this yeah. and, you know, um, yeah, it's a beautiful, it's a, it's a super cool journey you're on. And I mean, yeah, you, you talk about going into the eye of the storm. I mean, you get those same guys, those storm chasers. I mean, I actually signed up to to go and join a few guys in uh, oh, really? in the Texas area. 
quite a few years ago. And, um, you know, I, I also fascinated with, yeah, with the dynamics of, of the earth, mm. you know, and I mean, I wouldn't go swim in that cold water like you do. Like it just, it, it doesn't draw me. Yeah. It doesn't, Good. I don't have the inquiry there, you know, but I have the inquiry in other areas and everyone has these inquiries and, you know, the fact that you are actually doing them gives you the authority to to stand up and to say, you guys can do it too, yeah, you know? Right. Well, thank you for that. I think you summed it up beautifully. Yeah. And I mean, we could talk for hours and I said to you, I even said to you, listen, generally I like an hour and a half is a good sort of, you know, yes. you, people never know how long these interviews will be and they never think, oh my gosh, <laughs> seriously, an hour and a half, that's so long, but they just fly by. And yeah, um, I mean, there's so much more that I want to talk to you about and I think we're just going to have to come back again, you know. And there's so many other challenges that I've, that I've left off. And that I've sneakily gone yeah. onto my own website and I'm scrolling through what I've done. I'm like, ooh, oh yeah. Well, I just share, share your website address so that yeah. people can go <laughs> check in with your website. It's very simple. You, you, you just have to Google my name and it will, it will come up. But it's Ryan Stramroo. That's R-Y-A-N. And my surname is S-T-R-A-M. R double O D. So ryanstramry.com takes you to the website. Cool. Um, so yeah, cause I mean, I, I'll come quickly in on these things and I've had this question in my head the whole time also, but I mean, it wasn't like the pinnacle question of, you know, finding out about who Ryan is, but, um, obviously, you know, Vim Hof. I mean, have you ever, has there been a connection between the two of you before or not a, a direct one? And you pronounce it whim, by the way, he's quite particular about that. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Vim. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so no, <laughs> the closest I've come to whim, we've never spoken or communicated, um, but I certainly know of him and he, he might know of me. I'm not sure, but I did a swim in an Icelandic lake um, once upon a time. And whim had either just been there a month or so before. Um, and we shared the, the team who helped us, um, we shared them. So, you know, when they were helping me, they were like, oh, last month we did Wim Hof. And uh, yeah. so we were comparing notes into what I did and what he did. And then, you know, that's, that's the only connection I really feel to him. But he's done really well with the, the Wim Hof method. And I need to come up with the Ryan Stramrud method and get it out there. I don't know what it is, though. Well, earlier on, you mentioned um, you mentioned a method, but that, it, that, that there isn't one for that yet. No. Did you, you, you know what I'm talking about? Just earlier on when we were talking about the swimming and the, the psychology, oh, yeah. you said that yeah. there hasn't yet been one developed. Um, yeah, I'm, I think I'm with you. Um, I'm trying to think what I was referring to. It'll um, come back when you hear back on the interview. Yeah, but honestly, I can't remember exactly, um, but there is no method that, that I um, specifically use. I, you know, I've developed my own... Well, there is, but maybe yeah, you just is, need right. to put it down on paper. Correct, yeah. I, I suppose when, when I do it, um, it's it's very personal to me. I have never looked at it as a hey, try and share. And it's very it's very specific to swimming. So, if, if you know, I, I chat to a lot of swimmers who are trying to do different things. And I'll probably pass that knowledge on to them. But most of the time I'm yeah. speaking to business people or sales teams or, or what have you. Um, whereas those specific methods aren't interesting to them. They still they want to hear a little bit more about how to overcome challenges and massive targets and how to look at uh, things differently. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the other thing was also, so I mean, you still have a business, right? Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. 
So the your but is it still a, a marketing company or um because obviously I said I briefly looked at your website so yeah. I noticed that there was a little sneaky photograph of some flip flops. Ah yes, <laughs> um indeed. So so I have I have what I I kind of see it as one business, but there are two. So I've got this the advertising sales business, which is certainly still going. Um, and then okay. I've got the, the speaking side and the, the, the Ryan Stramer brand. Um, and I'm obviously very connected to the environment and do a lot of good and at, at least try and preach a lot of good about the environment. And one of the products that I've come up with, well, it's certainly not my idea, I can't claim it, but we've white labeled it and we work with a wonderful team um, of something called the Grit Flip Flops. And they are made from recycled car tires. Um, 10, mm. each one tire makes 10 pairs. Um, so you've got these wonderful slops. So I've basically branded a range of those made with the push pass and possible slops. So quite often when I speak at conferences, um, instead of having a book for everybody, which will come, um, I have a, a pair of flip flops for everybody. And that is environmentally oh, friendly cool. and actually doing some good and taking, uh, you know, the, those old tires out of the oceans and, and making product out of them, upcycling. Yeah. So that's the side of the business we're growing. We also now just developed the, the Ryan Strabrick face mask, believe it or not. So oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're working with some Also made out of rubber? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It's 100% recyclable uh, stuff. So everything I do will always have a, a green message attached. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, you said earlier there is no sort of destination. So, um you know, you're, I mean, you've got to have some, I mean, where are you going with, you know, with your, your process? You have yeah. to, you have to have some kind of destination. I mean, we're not just going nowhere. No, I'm, I'm certainly not going nowhere. Um, you know, I, I have swimming challenges and business challenges and, and uh, or goals rather. Um, and, uh, you know, financial goals and um, retirement goals. <laughs> Uh, yeah. you know, the, where, where I want to see my family and how I want to provide for them. So those are the, those are the simple goals that, that I've got. Um, if you're looking for me trying to do colder and colder and more, more dangerous stuff. No, no, not. not at all. It's just, it's just <clears throat> that you've, you've subjected yourself and, um, not only, I wouldn't say the word subjected, but yeah. you've also, you've gifted yourself, you know, with these, like that. extreme challenges because yeah. it, it it is a gift right to yeah. to ourselves when we throw ourselves out of our comfort zone we don't think it at the time but afterwards looking back we it's a gift yeah, that we give ourselves absolutely and, and I, I actually love the, the, the way you put it. it it is certainly a gift um, and it's it's extremely hard to love yourself during it but i set myself these challenges and i do have and I'm, i've got some big swimming stuff on the go it just i feel a little detached to be honest just because of this lockdown and the no swimming pools and i can't really get into any kind of training regime so everything's yeah. delayed and you know I'm, I'm waiting to see where the world's going before i completely recalibrate and at the moment the head's down trying to uh, you know survive on the business front <laughs> you know you can imagine yeah. there's not, not yeah. a lot of speaking conferences happening around the world so from having full calendars and a fantastic lineup um, over the last three months that absolutely flatlined um, and advertising is yeah. also a bad thing so i'm sitting with real life challenges just like everybody else um, yeah. So you, you you know and you you can't prioritize hours and hours and hours in the swimming pool and in the ocean. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, it's it's once you set that challenge, once you get stuck into it, 
um, it, it certainly is a gift, not just if you achieve the goal. Um, the journey is what it's about. And that's what I want people to understand. Is, you know, failure is part of this. That's where you learn so much. So if you set a goal and you fail, the learnings that you've taken to your next challenge, because something will trigger inside you. Very rarely does someone try something, fail, and go, I'm never doing that again. They'll try something, they'll mm-hmm. fail, and go, you know what, I got so close, I know exactly why I failed. And I'm going to use those mm-hmm. lessons, I'm going to try again. Or I'm going to try something else using those lessons. And that's how your life grows. Don't be, don't be yeah. mediocre. Don't, don't, satis- don't be satisfied with the comfort zone all your life. You might get by, or you might be nice and safe, but you, you're, you're going to underperform and underachieve. And that is, um, you, you're not gifting yourself to use your, your terms. Generally. Yeah. So Ryan, I mean, just cause you know, you bring in, um, Heather, you, you like everyone else are dealing with the reality of the situation, huh? Yes. And certainly South Africa's <coughs> like America, you know, are still very much in the deep of, of Corona. And I mean, I don't go too much in conversation of Corona because, um, the show's more sort of evergreen, yeah. but, um, it's a reality, so I do always dip into it. Um, but you know, let's let's use this right now. So, because I, I've often said in other interviews, you know, Corona can just be a metaphor in a way for other hard times that people are subjected to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. One hard time is another hard time, and you still need to use your muscle power and your your self belief to get through. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No matter what the hard time is so I mean it's like uh, Victor Frankl I don't know if you know his book from uh, a, a man's search for meaning um, but you know um, so just for you guys listening you know this was, this was a guy um, who lived through the second world war I think most people know Victor Frankl but you can look him up a great inspiration I've mentioned him in other interviews before but you know <laughs> how how do you um, right now through corona how can you take on what you've learned in these extreme challenges and apply it to this corona situation, which is like, yeah, Cheech and Chong, you can't compare the two, but they're both challenges. Oh, I, I, totally. And I mean, this would be a whole different podcast, to be honest. I've got so many ideas in that, but I'll just leave you with the one oh, is it? That, okay. that, I, that I've yeah. taken from this, you know, every single challenge that I've done um, in the middle of it, you are hating yourself. You can't see the shore. It seems impossible to make it. You're uncomfortable. You are confused. There are unknowns that are creeping in. There are curveballs. Things aren't going the way you planned them. Um, and you have every ex- excuse to quit, every excuse in, 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 in my terms to, to get in the support boat, to bail from the challenge. Um, and many, many, many times, especially with the element of cold, I've hated myself for putting myself in that situation. Um, and I've cursed and I've sworn I'll never do it again. But the one thing I have learned absolutely is when i walk out on that beach within seconds all i remember are the positives you forget all the hardships it seems like distant memory and no matter how many promises you made yourself that you will never be back in that situation you immediately start planning the next thing because the situation we are in right now is devastating it is to you and to me trust me it is to me too i know the lessons that i'm learning that we're all learning the new information we are gathering, the new foundations that we are building with this information are going to leapfrog us in the new world, uh, if I can if I can use that terminology. And it's not going to be sure. easy, but um, I promise you very soon, and I don't know when uh, your audience are exactly listening to this, as you say, it's evergreen, but we're in lockdown right now. 
Um, and when we come out and the world opens up, um, it's going to be a distant memory and life's going to go on at a whole different pace. Yeah. Nice. I like that. I like, I like also, you know, how you bought in when you get on that beach, you know what I mean? I can see you there yeah. in your little speedo, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, no, but it's so true and it's cool and it's so simple and it's, it's true. And, um, yeah, you know, you just have to, I, I guess you just have, and I mean, and, and then in saying that, because it's so true, like, yeah, just maybe give, because we're going to now lead to to closing off. And I think, Ryan, we're just going to call you back in, huh? And have a conversation with you again, because, yeah, we can You're definitely welcome. bring in some amazing sort of uh, positive talk again in the future. But um, just give, like, I don't know, three or four practical, like, practical tips that maybe can help people through these days. And, and you know, certainly the guys in South Africa and America who are really in the thick of it, but other people who are just going through just a shit time in life, yeah. you know, it just gives like a few practical tips. Wow. Well, I, sure. You've put me on the spot. Um, I'm, I'm busy. Sorry. No, it's all right. I'm, I'm busy. I mean, I, I certainly can, but I'm trying to think what is the, the, the what, what is the best to do. I'm trying to think what are the most related. Well, I think just picture um, yourself when you get out of bed, yeah. like literally when you heat it, when your feet hit the floor, like what would you do? Well, you know, how things have changed from the beginning of lockdown to where we are now, what, 100 days, 100 and something days in, um, is chalk and cheese, you know, and I've actually written a great piece, which I'd love to share with your, with your audience as well. And um, that's, that's gained quite a lot of traction. Um, and, and that is just how I was spinning so much at the beginning of lockdown. I was completely out of sorts. I was shuffling papers like you won't believe, trying to look busy and pretend I'm busy and trying to pretend the world is still normal and do everything and, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, 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 and get out of bed early and go to bed late and have my computer open. And, and I started to process that probably about two or three weeks in um, and just take a few deep breaths and step outside if you can do that. Step outside and try to look back in at what is actually happening and calm yourself. You know, and in, in my case, I started to realize that I'm on very familiar turf here, that the attributes of an extreme challenge, of which I do many and of which I volunteer to do many, um, are exactly the same attributes to that extreme challenge as they are to the lockdown process. All the unknowns and the difficulties and the potential disasters and, um, and, and a million other things that, that happen, that are happening to us in lockdown. With the only difference being that you, as a listener in lockdown, are in an extreme challenge. If you had no time to prepare, you also didn't want this. You had no time to put safety nets in place. There's nobody who's done anything similar to this before that you can go read about and uh, you know and, and, and find direction. You've got to figure it out yourself. And once you have that epiphany. Once you realize that, hang on, I'm actually in an extreme, let's not call it adventure, let's call it an extreme challenge, because I mean, people are dying and it's a horrible thing, this, uh, this COVID. Um, but I think that I'm going to give you one message, and that is to, to please breathe and try and figure out how to step outside and look back in at your life um, and, and see what you're doing. And are you doing anything different to how you used to do it? And how you used to do it probably doesn't work anymore. So if you are doing that, where do you change? And how can you cut yourself yeah. some slack? And you know what? Take a day off. Take a couple of hours off. Sleep in until 11 o'clock on the odd day. 
keep your phone off. Just say you were in meetings, whatever. No one knows. Catch yourself some slack and take the little bit, the, the, the low hanging fruit, um, uh, you know, that this does provide. Mm. Um, and, 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 uh, treat yourself a little bit. Does that, uh, actually, that's what I've done a lot. You know, I've, I've done all the panicking now. Um, and I still don't know exactly how this all ends, but I'm not panicking anymore. It's day by day. I'm doing what I can. I'm learning. I'm networking. I'm chatting. Um, and things will fall into place of that. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. I mean, it's funny that I mentioned the the Viktor Frankl because that's his exact sort of message in that book as well, right? Really, Just getting on it. sort of bird's eye view. I've got another friend, Katie Blair, one of the most exceptional swimmers, uh, lives in, um, in the USA, and she tells me every day, "Have you read it yet?" And I haven't, but that's why I'm so familiar. Oh, with seriously? The title. No, yeah. Oh, wow. <clears throat> yeah, to. so that's sort of that same message, right? It's about sort of. I mean, he was able to survive the concentration camps by. By sort of, you say, stepping back, you know, yeah. he sort of talks about it like almost from looking at yourself from a bird's eye view, oh, you know, really? like oh, okay. just kind of detach yourself from the situation. And, you know, you can only really do that, which is one, one of your biggest bits of advice is if you breathe and you actually just breathe right. and just connect, yeah. right? Because yeah. only then when you're in that relaxed space, can you get some perspective. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, <coughs> Okay, Which, well, yeah, you know, Victor and I are on the same wavelength. I'm definitely going to read this book now. <laughs> yeah, read it. And then next time we talk, I want to hear about your book, okay? All right. Deal, deal. Cool. <laughs> cool. All right, yeah, it's been super cool to chat to you. Thanks so much for being so spontaneous as well. Well, thank you. Thanks very much. You, you provided the space to do that. I haven't had an interview A this long or B this chilled and just, you know, shooting from this side of the world to the other side. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> Thank you very much. Super cool conversation. Ryan, thank you so much for coming into the studio. Uh, as you all heard, I really enjoyed the conversation. So many laughs. I love um, I love it when, you know, one can also see the sense of humor in their own story and um, yeah, I think that that's so important, you know, in life is is see the sense of humor in in your in yourself and in your day and um, yeah, just on your journey because you know as you showcased, it's not easy. It's it's hard. It's challenging, and um, you know you've got to you've got to really get your head around things sometimes. And uh, you're going out there motivating and inspiring people to to do just that, you know, get your head around things and um, gift yourself as, you know, as we discussed at the end, you know, gift yourself um, the uh, the space to, to step out of your comfort zone, you know. Um, that's so important and that's exactly what you do. And through your story, here you are on stage, um, inspiring thousands of people to go and connect with their truth and to um, stretch themselves you know beyond yeah beyond the the boundaries that they've set for themselves and uh, thank you so much for for doing that for being an ambassador for um, yeah for just achieving greatness and as you I think termed it uh, pushing past the impossible um, so yeah, just super grateful and thanks again for joining me on the show and definitely we'll meet up again 
and uh, yeah, discuss more of those challenges and discuss that book of yours when uh, <laughs> when it comes out. So I think that that will be a good point to to meet up again. So it's now that time of the show for me to introduce my next guest. So my next guest uh, lived the high life in Amsterdam, you know, one of the super cool cities of the world, one of the most expensive cities of the world. And uh, she gave it all up and moved to Bali and uh, started a farm. So, yeah, looking forward to sharing the story with you. You know, she, she talks about the fact that her, her typical day in Amsterdam would be, you know, waking up, uh, taking her dog through one of the most sort of exclusive, fabulous streets of Amsterdam, you know, where the Pradas and the Chanel's and the Gucci's and all those fabulous shops are. She'd walk through there, do a bit of window shopping, go to the park with her dog um, the Vondel Park, for those of you who know Amsterdam, most of you who have been here will know the Vondel Park. And uh, from there, she would go to her company, which was an advertising agency, and spend the day in the company, go home at the end of the day, take her dog home, and then go for, yeah, fabulous dinners. Um, and for her, this just became meaningless uh, at a certain point. And actually, if you listen to it, it sounds pretty cool, right? Um, you know, with a dog in the park and, you know, just a walk, walking through this beautiful city. And it actually can be super cool. Um, but for her, uh, she got to a point where that life became meaningless and uh, she needed to make a decision and she did. But this is the story that you're going to find out. And um, yeah, just really, she's out there in Bali doing amazing things for the locals, you know, helping local women get educated. Um, her first student has actually just finished her psychology degree. So, you know, she's just, yeah, an amazing human being, has an amazing awareness for uh, the environment and, you know, for, yeah, just inspiring, um, inspiring the greater good of our universe. So, you know, I can't wait to share that story with you because it's these stories that change lives. It's when people hear these stories, they think, you know what, I can do that too. Why can't I do that? If she can do it, I can do it as well. So yeah, check that out next week um, with Marianne van Ravenswey and um, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's now that time where I usually say uh, have an amazing week, guys. Don't forget to subscribe on my website, inspirationalinterviews.com. Don't forget to go to Ryan's website as well. If you Google search Ryan Stramroot, then you will find him there. Um, and uh, yeah, hit me up on Instagram, uh, LinkedIn for the more sort of professional platforms, uh, Facebook, of course, and uh any of those of you guys who are needing interviews or, um, yeah, just maybe you also want uh, to search within yourself. You know, that's what um, I can also do privately and I do do privately with people. So if any of you are wanting to self-explore and just have someone to mirror where you are at right now, let me know. And obviously I can do that for you as well. So go to my website, inspirationalinterviews.com and um, find me there. In the meantime, guys, have an amazing week and... Uh, See you on the flip side. But you.